Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome to the Honest Youth Pastor YouTube channel, the channel that helps believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life. And today we are going to do that in one of my favorite ways, which is doing a sermon review. Now, you may be new here. We've got a lot of people new here from the Michael Todd documentary slash video essay that we recently did. So welcome. Each Saturday, we release a, uh, a new sermon review. Now, you may ask, what is a sermon review? What am I watching here? Well, each week we work through a variety of different sermons from a variety of different people, sometimes suggested by you guys, sometimes people that I come across that I think would be interesting to look at. The list is long. If we took no more names, it would still take us a year and a half to get through the names we already have on the list. So you can suggest one if you'd like, but it may take a minute to get to them. Today... We are finally getting back to that list. We are at Alex Seeley of the TV and a sermon called Obedience Produces Authority. Now, what we do each week as we look at these sermons, as we'll do with this one, is we look at three specific things. One, do they read the text of scripture? Two, do they exegete the text using culture and context to bring out the application, not only for the original audience, but for us as believers today? And three, do they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Seems like a pretty low bar. In fact, sometimes we far exceed the bar and sometimes we go way, way under the bar. So let's see where we are going to get today. This is going to be an interesting one, I think, because this is sort of like a, this is, it's a mixed bag, this one. So um, if you want to, I'm going to go over to the review screen. We have in the description below a downloadable PDF uh, of our sermon review guide where you can use that each week at your own church or at you know, when you're watching sermons online to go through and basically ask the same questions we ask during every sermon review that we do here. It's got some fill in blanks, all that sort of stuff. You can check it out. It's going to be very helpful to you. I trust. Uh, we actually, the one that's linked below is the newest version. Uh, some feedback was given and I think it was really good. So we kind of switched it up a little bit. So that was down in the description below. So today, Let's go ahead and no further ado hop into it because we are going to start about 12 minutes and four seconds in to this. Now, if you want to watch the whole thing, the whole sermon without any of my commentary is going to be linked in the description below as well as always, in case you want to watch that because you think I'm interrupting too much or taking things out of context, it's down below. We are starting at 12 minutes in though, because there's been a whole lot of just random, just things said before this point and the sermon is actually about to start after the prayer that she pray is she's praying right now and so that's where we're starting at there's a whole bunch of other stuff i considered covering because there's some interesting things that i think kind of demonstrate where she's coming from theologically beforehand uh, but i went ahead and cut those out because the sermon's going to be 45 minutes by itself and uh just for just for length of time and all that sort of stuff. We're just going to jump right into the prayer right before the sermon. So let's get into it uh, and see what Alex Seeley has to say of the Blanco.com uh, or Blanco. Arrest us. Speak to us. Oh, I couldn't, I didn't even know I was going to preach this word in relation to this, but God, this is where it's at, God. God, I pray that as this Word is out, coming out of my mouth, God, it is Your Word, Your Word that's alive, active, sharper than any double-edged sword, that it has the ability to penetrate and divide between soul, spirit, joint and marrow, and it judges the attitudes of our heart. So God, I pray wherever we are at right now, by Your Holy Spirit, would You speak to us? Would You? chasten us would you inspire us would you give revelation to us that while we are here on earth that we are called to bring to earth that which is in heaven 
And so, God, I pray that we would go from this place today changed from the inside out so that we can go be the church and see lives transformed. In the name of Jesus, anoint this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Sit down. Okay. I am pretty pumped about this because I'm very, very, very passionate. I do really want you to come next week, especially um, because Pastor Henry really does have a word on his heart for 2023. And I'm more passionate about the church being the church and building the church. But that doesn't mean building service. Say that again. So what's really interesting here, and she'll say it again, is that, and this doesn't necessarily have a ton to do with the sermon, though it kind of ties in, is that there's this huge theme that seems to be happening about, um, you know, being the church, but that doesn't mean necessarily meeting as the church. That means uh, the church isn't a meeting of people. It is you and you and you as believers are the church, and then therefore you should go out and do things, right? And so that is a very interesting correction to some of the aspects of how we've been doing church for a while, which is just coming and meeting and not doing anything outside. It seems to be leaning to this overcorrection of we don't need to meet at all and then we can just go do stuff. And then if we do meet, it's just like this sort of thing that we do. Historically, that I think I think it's an overcorrection. I guess this is short of it. I don't want to spend too much time on this because, again, this is not her main point, but it is a point she makes throughout the sermon. If you look at church history, they are a meeting church that meets together and then a church that goes out into their community um, to live lives obedient to Jesus. Like, it's just, it's not like this additional thing. It's just part of their lives. Just as meeting together is part of their lives, so is living in obedience to Christ. It's sort of part of it. Like, it's not a forced thing. It's just the flow of life. And I think we've, we're, we seem to be over, some churches seem to be pointing to this overcorrection of service, 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 service. Don't worry about meeting, or it's not as big of a deal when meeting is just as big as a deal as living in your community, obedient to Christ. I hope that's clear. But anyway, she, she brings this up over and over again. I'll try to point it out when she does, but this is how we start the service of, of, you know, we should be out doing things. We're here to build the church, not build service. The church needs to be bigger than where the world's at right now and the world's dominating and, 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 and we need to be the dominators because that's actually our mandate. You know, when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, I love that the prayer he taught them was, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was teaching the disciples to pray that God's will would be on earth as it is in heaven. Not our will, not our ways, but he said, pray this way. Pray this way because I need you to continue this journey, this mission of bringing heaven to earth. Okay, so I want, I want you to catch that because this is something we're going to look for throughout this sermon. There are pastors, and I'm just going to just, I'm going to kind of just put it out here. Like we're not that far into the sermon review, but you just need just to look for it. Alex will continually state a verse and then add to that verse. Um, 
Sometimes it's in the form of like commentary and sometimes it's just misquoting entirely. And so what she does here is she quotes the Lord's prayer and she quotes it fine. But then she adds to this idea that Jesus is basically telling his disciples, I need you to continue my work of bringing heaven to earth, which is not what he says when he's teaching the prayer. And so that may seem like it's a like a, a minuscule addition, but it's not because you're you're reading into the prayer something that's not stated on either side. We'll look at this actually closer when we get to some of the verses that she's talking about more specifically. Um, but this is continued throughout, stating a verse and then kind of adding on to it in some weird way that doesn't actually equate what the verse is saying um, in it. And she does, this is the first time she does it, but this is just like a continuous thing. Jesus did that. Jesus came 2,000 years ago and he did the will of the Father. He didn't do anything. I was saying this to somebody the other day. He didn't come on earth and start Jesus Christ ministries. We've got so many ministries, but are we preaching the gospel? Because the perfect will of the Father is that all mankind would be saved. If you want to know what the perfect will of God is, is that everyone would be saved. God's will for Jesus to come on earth was to destroy the works of the evil one. And he did that. He accomplished that at the cross and therefore the enemy has been defeated. Yet we, some of us still walk around like the enemy has more power over us. The enemy has no power. He only, you only give him the power that he has over you. You give him. So you see what, like there's going to be a lot of stopping here, guys. So she says, Satan's been defeated at the cross. He has no power, but he only has the power that you give him. So does Satan have no power because of the cross or does he have power? And that power comes from the power that you give him because you don't remember that he's been defeated at the cross. Now, this may just be me not understanding, you know, the, the theolo theological background she comes from, but these two things don't seem to line up. Either he is defeated or he is kind of defeated unless you give him power. Him access to the power in your life. But we have great power and great authority. And because Jesus obeyed the Father... He says at the last command, the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, he says, Now all authority has been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have taught you to obey, and lo, I will be with you always. All authority has been given to me. Why was all authority given to Jesus? All authority. Okay, so really quick, let's switch over to this screen here. Let me try to do this a little bit more on these sermon reviews. So let's go to exactly what she's reading here, right? So it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mount in which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, uh, and when they saw, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Now, this is important. This is a very important verse. 
in this sermon. So just remember what Jesus tells them here in 18, 19, and 20, because that's going to come back up. Who has authority? Well, Jesus has all authority. He claims all authority on heaven and earth, and it's been given to him. And therefore, he says, go uh, and make disciples of all, all the nations, baptizing them and all that. Now, we'll get back to that. This is We're going to come back to that here in a minute, but just keep keep that sort of in your mind um, because that's going to be very important. Authority was given to Jesus because Jesus had full obedience. And I want to propose to you today, I think the reason why the church is lame, I'm going to use that word, to a certain degree, it's lame, it's sick, it's, it's not fully functional. I'm not talking lame like, oh, that's lame. I'm talking it's lame, it's, there's, it's crippled. It's not fully functioning, it's because we're not being fully obedient. We're disobedient. And I'm going to show you today how it's our obedience that actually increases and gives us greater authority and it's disobedience that diminishes our authority. Now, so just so we're clear, this is why the, the sermon is called Obedience Produces Authority, obviously. Uh, it's in the name. <laughs> so her premise in this sermon is to demonstrate that the church is being disobedient, but she doesn't necessarily point out how that is accurate. But then she goes from a big C church is being disobedient to a more, very more personal route of the reason that like you don't have authority is because you're being disobedient. And the more you are obedient, the more authority you get. Now, this authority seems to be authority over Satan and his works, um, which is odd because, again, where's the scripture for that? Like, that's my question. One of the things we always want to look for, and this is what I would encourage you to, this is why, actually, this is a perfect example of a sermon of why I would tell you to write down all the scripture that she states or all the scriptural sort of references that she says that she doesn't quote, because you want to write those down because those are going to be important as well. Because there's a lot of things that you can throw out that are like, oh, this is scripture. But until you look into it and see if it lines up, you're not going to know if it's an accurate representation of what's actually happening. This is why we ask, do they read the scripture in context so they can exegetically work through that with context and culture, bringing that application? That's important. A verse here and a verse there is incredibly dangerous to do because you can very easily twist that. So back to it. There is a lot of popular people on this earth right now, and there's a lot of influential people, but that doesn't give them authority. There's a lot of churches out there doing good programs, good things, but there's no power to break shackles, chains, and see deliverance. And right now, we're living in a world where we're almost walking as Christians, but we're denying the power thereof of that which is inside of us because of disobedience. And yet Jesus has all authority because he was fully obedient. We lost our authority because of disobedience. And so I want to take us on this journey. Psalm chapter 8 verse 4 says this. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you have made him a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honour. I'm not sure why she says you have made them a little lower than God. When it is you have made them a little lower than angels. I, I, it may just be a slip of the tongue, but... 
You gave them charge over everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herd. Their feet. Do you see what she's doing? She's. This is. This is where it is so important to um to 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 actually look at what the scripture says, right? Because right now she is adding things to what she's reading right in front of you. Like she's not even trying to hide the fact that when it says feet there, she's saying authority. Um, it's just, it's an interesting, um, interesting way to go about it. Birds and all the wild animals, the birds and the sky, the fish in the sea and everything that swims, the ocean currents. Oh Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Do you realize the psalmist here is quoting Genesis? They're quoting Genesis 1.26 of when God said, I've made you in my image, male and female, I have made you. And I have given you all dominion and authority and power to rule the earth, to subdue it. That you will have authority over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the livestock and every plant. Go and work and go and subdue the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. This is yours. You have dominion. You have authority over the earth. Now go be the image bearers that I've called you to be and that I've designed you to be. It was set. It was done, and yet it was their disobedience that caused them to lose their authority in the garden. And because they disobeyed the simple instruction to not eat from one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, one tree. Now, when God gives you an instruction, it is not to kill your joy. It is not to remove you from having fun. It's not to not bless you. It's actually to protect you. But humanity, when you have a wrong understanding of the nature of your father, you will not trust his instruction. And the enemy came in with doubt to say, your God isn't who he says he is. He's holding out on you. And therefore, if you eat of this tree, you'll gain something that he doesn't want you to have. And the enemy's been doing that since the beginning of time, lying to us, saying, God's not who he says he is, and you need to have that in your life. You need to have that relationship. You need to have that money. You need to have that because that will make you this or that will make... And God says, I actually know what's best for you because I created you. But when we don't trust that our Father fully loves us and that we are fully accepted by Him, we will not obey His instruction because it's out of love and dependence. You see, the whole point of... So one thing I think may be small here, but I think is rather important to uh, point out, is that she's talking about if we don't understand that we are fully accepted and loved by the Father, then we believe lies. Um the reason believers are fully accepted and loved by God is because of Jesus Christ. And so when we leave that very important, um, that, that piece out, um, first of all, you're leaving the gospel out and you're making it sound like everyone is fully loved and accepted uh, by God the Father, which there is a love there, but there's not an, an adoption into the family of God. There's not an acceptance of their, 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 their rebellion. And it's only through Christ are we made right. It's only through Christ are we reconciled to God the Father. 
And so when we leave that out, we're actually missing out on the fact that we're ministers of reconciliation, as Paul says, uh, when he writes to the Corinthians, is that that's we're ministers of reconciliation, telling others that they can be reconciled with their father as well. Um, and so w- when we leave that out and we just say we're fully loved, we're fully accepted by God, but we leave out it's through Jesus Christ, we're missing out on the gospel. And it may seem small, and there may be an assumption that she's just talking to believers here, uh, which may be true, but um, it also is a good reminder for believers, even if you know everybody in that room is a believer, it's a good reminder to believers that the reason you're fully accepted and loved by God is because of Jesus Christ. And the moment you start to forget that, the moment you, you begin to think you can, and this ties into the sermon, earn that somehow via your obedience or your right action. Um, and that's problematic. Of the garden of the knowledge of good and evil to be put there was so that humanity would continually depend on the Father's instruction. But what they did is they became independent and did their own way thinking they knew better. And that is the problem with the church right now. We think we know better. We think we know better than God's instruction. We think we know better than the Word of God. We think we can devour the Scriptures. But you know what I've really learned the older that I'm getting? I just want to obey two things. I I, I want to boil this whole book down to two things. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and all your strength and love others like yourself. Could you imagine if the church, the global church, had just obeyed the two instructions that Jesus actually said are the greatest? He boiled everything down. The Old Testament. And he's like, you know what? Actually, the apostles and the prophets, they hang on these two things. This is how the church is actually going to function. So the funny thing with, I know I'm interrupting a lot. I really don't care, guys, uh, because there's, there's so much here that we have to clarify so, yes, um, this love God uh, with all your heart, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself is incredibly important. And it is something that we as believers and we as the Big C Church should be doing 100%. And there are times that we've done that really, really terribly. That being said, you, there's, there's a reason. There's, there, there's a reason, for example, there's the Law and the Prophets, right? There's a reason there's the epistles and the writings to the churches. Why? Because how is that then lived out in our lives? I mean, what does that look like in the everyday? So you have the law that instructs the people, right? You have the prophets, which instruct and warn the people and correct them. And then you have the epistles in the New Testament that uh, are, are majority of Paul writing to the churches saying, hey, your believers, this is how you should be sort of living out that belief. Or you have James, which is demonstrating like, this is what righteous action looks like and you're not doing it right, right? So it's one thing, and I agree with her that, you know, yes, those two things are incredibly important and the church should be doing those and all believers should be doing those. But then there's the practicality of every day. So she's almost downplaying devouring scripture and being in the word and saying, yeah, that's important, but we should do these two things. Jesus boiled everything down to these two things and that should be our focus. Yeah, but like the way you work all that out isn't that simplistic. It is, okay, how do I do that as a believer then? That's why we have 
the rest of the scripture, right? What does that look like practically? Feet on the ground, rubber meeting the road. Like, how do we do that? What does sanctification look like? What does mentorship look like? What does growing in faith look like? Like, all of these things are laid out for us in the scripture. So it is one thing to say, love you, the Lord your God with all your mind, your strength, uh, your heart, and your strength. Um, and it's another th- and to love your neighbor as yourself. Yes. And how do we do that practically? Because you're loving your neighbor as yourself part, as we saw back in 2020 and 2021, um, is a bit divisive and not super clear. And everybody thinks that they have the answer for it. So yeah, we should probably have the rest of the scriptures to sort of, I don't know, give us lenses to navigate that on um, and to throw the rest of it out and be like, well, these are the two things. Okay, great. Awesome, Alex. Um, but the rest of the scriptures actually help us work through that. I'm not saying she's saying throw out the rest of the scriptures. I'm just saying that she's saying if the church just did these two things, well, great. I think we've already seen very clearly that the church can't agree on our own intellect what those two things mean. And we have the scriptures to demonstrate what those two things mean. The church is going to function on love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love others. Because if you love God and you understand his love, you will not be able to hate anyone. You can't. You can't keep an offense with anybody. You can't actually hold grudges against anyone. Could you imagine if Christians, let's just talk about Christians. Forget the world. They don't know any better. If Christians actually obeyed those two instructions. Ouch. See, I think obedience is the key to gaining authority. Because Adam and Eve lost their authority in the garden through disobedience. And Jesus had to restore authority through obedience. I know this because Romans 5 verse 19 says it. For as through one man's disobedience... The many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Our acceptance that was fully ours got replaced by rejection and separation. Our innocence was replaced by guilt and shame. Our authority was replaced by weakness and insecurity. Our dominion was replaced by fear and insignificance. And now the flesh dictates that which the spirit needs to dominate. But as new creations in Christ church, we don't have the old man anymore. And yet we're still contending with the old man. And we're still wrestling with the old man. We're still literally dancing with the flesh. When God says that no longer exists, when you got baptized, it was a symbolic moment of you getting up out of that water and saying, that person is dead and this person is alive. And now I am a slave to Jesus and He is my Lord. And there's no such thing. Joyce Meyer says this. You can't say no Lord in one sentence. Just real quick, if you're using Joyce Meyer's as like your spiritual authority, there's an issue. So only two words that don't go together. No Lord. Because if Jesus is your Lord, like Hope was sharing, then it's yes, always. So could you imagine if the church just obeyed the whisper? Or just obey the simple thing that he's asking you to do. How your life would change through obedience. And this is why Jesus had to come on this earth so that he could show us, church, 
You see, he hasn't told us what to do and says, do as I say, not as I do. He said, let me show you how it's done. And I'm going to come in man form. And I'm going to be fully God, yet I'm going to be fully man. And I'm going to actually walk with the same limitations that you have. I will have a body. I will have five senses. I will be tempted like you will be tempted. I will suffer. Do you know the scripture actually says that Jesus learned obedience through suffering? Did you know that? We just think God was automatically obedient. Oh, because he's God, so he's automatically obedient. No, no, he learned obedience through suffering. In Luke 2.52, it says he grew in stature and in favour with God and man. He grew into it. He did it by all those little obediences along the way and this is how Jesus became. And He's showing us that when you're that tethered to your relationship with the Father, it's doable. Okay, so one of the things, I mean, there's been a whole bunch of verses that she's referenced that I haven't stopped her on, but let's go ahead. She's not necessarily referencing, I mean, she referenced Luke. We're not going to go to Luke. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 5. Um, because this is where uh, she's talking about uh, he learned obedience through his suffering. Um, she, she's walking awful close to this idea that we can be exactly like Jesus. And this is only going to get um, stronger through this entire sermon. But anyway, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 is where she's alluding to. It says, although... Oh, actually, hold on. Let me go over here. Boom. There we go. Although he was, uh, and we're very th at the very top here, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, again, context is increasingly important as you read the scriptures. And so what we have in Hebrews is um, the author of Hebrews really working through uh, the law and the Old Testament system and showing Jesus is the better everything. So when we get here to verse 8, although he was a son, well, we should probably go back here. Uh, verse 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up a prayer of supplication with a loud cry and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was able uh, and he was heard because of his reverence although he was a son he learned obedience through what he suffered so although he was a son although he was uh god's son he learned obedience through what he suffered so he suffers in his human form uh here on earth and uh being made perfect and that word actually is better i the esv uses perfect it, it can also and better is translated as complete uh, although uh, being made complete, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. She's she's really hammering on on this point as well as the point in Luke to try to make this connection between Jesus's obedience being what gives him authority. Now, and and then she's going to try to connect that process to us as believers and us as believers being obedient than us having authority. And I need you to see there's a difference there. There is an enormous difference between Jesus being obedient to the father and having authority all again, going, we're going to go to Matthew, uh, the, the end of Matthew, again at the great commission here in a moment, cause she's going to kind of talk about that again, but there's a difference between Jesus having authority in heaven and earth and us as believers having authority. 
Um, but she's not making that differentiation. She is saying that as Jesus was obedient, he receives authority. As we as Christians are obedient, we will receive authority. And she's not, she's making a one-to-one correlation between us and Jesus here, which is not what the scriptures um, are pointing out. What we see in Hebrew specifically is Jesus is the better everything. Uh, so he is the better priest. He is the one that's able to do everything that no one else could do. It's actually doable. And I know this because, and I don't want to embarrass my son, Taylor, right now, because I know he's sitting with all his youth friends, but but I just know this. My son has, and you know, anyone that's known him from childhood, like, there's just something in him that always wants to be obedient. Even his teachers would say, he just always wants to do the right thing. There's been something innate in him from birth that says, I don't want to displease my mom and my dad. I I want to be obedient and I've I've watched this kid over and over and over and he's really just such a joy to me, Henry, because we're like, this kid just lives to obey. Now, he's not perfect. Where are you? I can't even see you. Oh, he's hiding. (laughs) He's not perfect, but I'm telling you there's an obedience because you know what? He actually loves me and Henry. And he doesn't want to disappoint us because he doesn't want to break our hearts. And do you know if that, if you want to know what the definition of the fear of the Lord is, that's actually it. It's not being afraid. It's actually, I don't want to disappoint God. I don't want to break his heart by disobeying. I, I want to do what pleases him to bring honor to his name. Now, to be frank with you, I'm not sure if that's accurate or not. I would definitely, if I'm taking notes, right, and I should have really looked this up beforehand, but that's just something that came up a few times that I did not have time to look up. That doesn't seem right. If in the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord does not seem to ever correlate with, I just don't want to break God's heart. Uh, It seems to correlate with God is holy and above all things, and uh, he's opened the earth up before and swallowed people up. So maybe some respect is due. That seems to be the way things lean. Um Even in the New Testament, we have this sort of thing um, of this obedience and reverence to the Lord because of who he is, um, not because we don't want to break his heart. We we don't have that language. Like, that's another thing I think is important to note. There isn't this type of like we we sort of have grown accustomed to this idea of using language that the Bible itself doesn't use. There is no part within the scriptures that we have the language being used, you know, do something so you don't break God's heart. There is a grieve the spirit, right? The closest thing you might be able to reference. Um, But that's not, again, it's not a one-to-one correlation to how we use the term. So, you know, I remember Taylor one day just saying something funny to his sister and she, she, she came downstairs with something or whatever. And he goes, and just in a jokey way, he says, Hey, you you just don't want to bring dishonor to the ceiling, eh? (laughs) <laughs> and I thought it was so cute we all laughed and and whatever but you know what that's that's how we should be with the Lord I don't want to bring dishonor to the name that represents my Jesus my Lord I don't want to bring dishonor I want the world to see that my father is awesome and that he is true and that he is good and it comes through obedience and when you are obedient there is blessing on your life it's actually a supernatural realm you get to tap into. Scripture and verse, please. That's all, that's all I'm saying. Scripture verse. Um, because there are plenty of Christians throughout the world 
that are incredibly obedient to Christ. And depending on what you mean by blessing, they don't necessarily get to experience that tapped in reality, right? Do they have peace beyond understanding? A hundred percent. Do they have joy in the Lord when it doesn't make sense? A hundred percent. So if by blessing you mean there is a supernatural joy and peace they have secured in Jesus, a hundred percent obedience brings blessing. If you mean anything else, I have no clue where you're getting that. And I'm amazed, you know, you look at life of disobedience, of lawlessness, and how it's full of chaos. I look at marriages that just will not submit to one another because they're so stubborn and they so want to do it their way. And you wonder why you've got chaos in your households. Because obedience is being submitted to the Father first. Husbands. Love your wives as Christ laid down his life for the church, which means unto death. And then you won't have any trouble with your wife submitting to you. But a lot of you men want your wives to submit without you laying down your lives. It doesn't work that way. Obedience. Obedience to my father. That's what makes me submitted to my husband. It's because I love him and he loves me that I want to honor him through my marriage. And I look at my marriage not as just someone I get to live with for the rest of my life, but I look at my marriage as a display of the mystery of the covenant between God and his church. And so I don't want my marriage on earth to show anything but the mystery of covenant. So that when the. So one thing I want to point out here. In the, again, she brought it up, so we're going to do that. Yes, Ephesians 5 is a really good um, picture of Christ in the church that Paul paints in regards to how marriage should be lived out between husbands and wives. Her statement was, husbands, if you want your wives to submit to you, you should lay your life down like Christ laid down his life for the church. A hundred percent. In fact, when we, when we, when we talk about um, uh, how marriage should be lived out with the couples that we're doing premarital counseling for before we perform the ceremony, um, that comes up all the time. I mean, this, the Ephesians five constantly, I mean, that is a no brainer that comes up. First Peter chapter three, though, one through seven is very interesting um, because it says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see you respectful and uh, pure and pure conduct. Um, it's an interesting thing there because we're not, he's, he's talking specifically about unbelieving husbands. And the assumption is if there's an unbelieving husband, um, they may very well not, they may not lead like Christ. They may not be sacrificial like Christ does, but Peter still commands the wives to be subject to their own husbands. He goes on uh, in verse three, do not adorn your external, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair or the putting on of gold and jewelry or the clothes you wear, but let your Adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which of God's sight is very precious. Uh, for this is how a holy, how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and 
do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. There's obviously a lot there. That last part, he's clearly talking to husbands that are believers. Uh, but beforehand, he his whole point at the beginning of chapter 3 is to talk to wives about how they are to be subject to their husbands, even if um, their husbands are not um, believers, so that in their subjection, their husbands may be one without a word to the Lord. And so I just want to point that out. That never gets brought up when we're talking about uh, marriage or sub- submission or anything like that, because... Um, well, Ephesians 5 is a lot easier to do and people still have problems with Ephesians 5. But I think that's just one of the things because she goes, that's not how it works, right? Wives, don't expect your wives to submit to you, husbands, unless you're laying down your life like Christ laid his down for the church. It doesn't work like that. That was what she said. And though I would agree that husbands should be entirely sacrificial for their wives, um, and in so doing, it does make it easier for wives to submit to their husbands. However, Peter does say, that wives should be subject to their unbelieving husbands. For what reason? Well, for the glory of God, so that their husbands may be saved without a word. So it kind of does work like that. It kind of does mean that that the, the according to what we have here in Scripture is that wives should be subject to their husbands, even if their husbands aren't believing, so that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. I just feel like that's important to point out because she clearly says it doesn't work that way. When Peter says... That's exactly how that works. Again, that's not the point of her message. Obedience produces authority, has nothing to do, and she's about to say this wasn't even in her original message. But I think we have to be subject to the whole of Scripture and not just pieces of it. The world, you know, I was actually at um, my esthetician the other day. Funny story. And I was telling her about something that Henry had told me, and we were just laughing and talking about this. And then she literally stops me and she goes, oh, is this your second marriage? I said, what? She goes, oh, is this your second marriage? Because you just are talking like you're still on your honeymoon. I said, girl, I've been married nearly 25 years to the same man, and yes, we still are on our honeymoon. (laughs) Because it can be done. And she went, where did you meet him? I said, in church. I said, but be careful. They're not all like him. Just because you go to church doesn't make you anything like Henry. Thank you. (laughs) But what I love about Henry is that he loves his father and his father's taught him how to love me and vice versa. And so we have this beautiful unified marriage that displays the glory and splendor. See, it's obedience. It's obedience. It's not doing what the world says. It's doing what God says. I've gone way off track and none of this was in the nine o'clock service. One of the things, and this is just a side note on sermons, like if you're a pastor, one of the best things you can do, and I know it's very popular to kind of just kind of ad lib. Um, It's more authentic, but um, you have a precious few minutes with these people And with them, there should be a teaching of the word, a proclamation of the gospel. Um, And again, stories are fine. I've said this before, by the way. Stories are fine as long as they add like some sort of depth, like some understanding to the scripture that you're trying to unpack for the people. Um, And if it doesn't do that, like 
are we wasting time or are we being productive with our time? That's the question I think as pastors we need to ask when we tell stories. Um, is it helpful to illuminate the text in a way that maybe just reading through it might not right away or are we just wasting time? <laughs> Thanks, Pastor Phil. You know, Jesus had to come and he had to make right what we got wrong in the garden. And it was in the garden in the most perfect environment that we didn't do it right. Adam, in the most perfect of environments, still got it wrong. And yet Jesus comes and in the hardest environment, he does it right. And the difference is I believe that his knowledge of sonship was all the difference. His understanding of sonship. His understanding that his father is good all the time and therefore whatever he asks of me, I know it's for my good and for the good of the people around me. And therefore, as he grew in obedience through suffering, God takes him to the journey. Now he's 30 years of age. And he gets baptized in water and the whole of the people that are around him, surround him, get to hear the audible voice of the Father saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove and it's from that moment that he's anointed for service. But he doesn't just go out and start Jesus Christ ministries, he actually gets led into the wilderness and not in the garden where it was perfect, where he had everything. He was fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And this is why, church, when, when we tell you to fast and pray, we're not making you suffer for nothing. But there is something that you get to gain on the other side of denying yourself of your fleshly desires and wants. Because you gain an authority on the other side. Because if you can't put down that Twizzler for a week, you ain't going to be putting down that up. There's an authority that God's wanting to develop inside of you. Okay. Um, so one point of agreement and one point of disagreement. The early church, actually, if you read about them, um, took fasting very seriously. Uh, fasted three times a week, in fact. And while they fasted, they would obviously take that money that they would have normally spent on food preparation or um, time that they would have spent doing that and then gave that to others in need, right? So this, the idea of fasting was to deprive oneself for the, for the giving to other people. Uh, it also acted, it seems, as uh, a reminder that everything they have comes from God. Everything that they rely on comes from him and that it is through the strength of the spirit uh, because of Jesus Christ that they are able to to even take their breath right so fasting acted uh, it seems like if you if you read some of the early writings of the church as uh, a reminder to believers that this is all possible because of of Jesus Christ and so you're doing this to deprive yourself in order to be generous to others because you need to be reminded of who Jesus is and what his life, death, death and resurrection has done. And so in so doing, you're, you're driven to reliance on Christ because you're purposely depriving yourself of something. But you're not just depriving yourself for the, the purpose of depriving yourself. You're actually giving out, out of this fasting. 
not only are you reminded of your dependence on Christ, but you're reminded of the need to be generous to others. So fasting acted as a way to care for those um, less fortunate within the community, while at the same time uh, reminding you that your strength and everything that you have comes from Jesus. And so it's not that um, the early church would have seen fasting as a way to gain authority, uh, as much as it is a way to lower yourself and remind yourself that you actually have no power. It is it is Christ that has the power. And it's everything you do is done through him and for him uh, and for his glory. So I, I, it's just an odd thing that she, she talked, I mean, all she's talking about is getting authority through obedience. And so this whole idea is I do A and I get B. And it's totally devoid of Jesus Christ in the gospel. It's it's very, it's tiptoeing, if not fully in, this idea of works-based salvation almost. Only it's not even salvation we're talking about. It's just works-based authority. I do the thing that I'm supposed to and I get authority. And it doesn't seem like she's just talking about some, you know, authority over random stuff. It seems that she's equating the authority that Christians get as the same authority that Jesus had. Um, we're going to dive. I mean, she gets a little bit deeper in this in a minute. We're only halfway through uh, this sermon. Actually, a little less than halfway through this sermon. We've got a lot more to go here. Um, and we're already riddled with a thousand problems. But um, anyway, it's just it's if we historically look at how fasting was seen in the early church, this is not it. It's a discipline, not because he wants to kill your joy, but he wants to make you a sharp arrow. He's wanting to refine you and make you better than the world. And he says, in order to do that, I need you to be obedient. And so Jesus goes into the wilderness and the enemy comes to tempt him of his sonship. Where does it say that? Does it, I mean, he, he's, he's, he's definitely led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That word temptation is not to seduce to sin. It means it's parasmos. It means to test and prove by trial. So Jesus wasn't going into the wilderness to be seduced to sin. It was so that he could be proven by trial and testing to gain authority. And so he does. And enemy comes and says, if you are the son of God, the enemy's literally, the, he plays the same game. He's just been told he's the son of God. The whole earth just heard it audibly. And he's like, if you are, prove it. You're starving, right? Now make these rocks turn into bread. And he says, hey, listen, it is written, man doesn't need to live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When God says it's time to eat, I'll eat, because for now I'm doing his will and I'm doing it his way. And I will not feed myself. I'll let him come and minister to me when the time is right. And then the enemy comes again. He says, hey, throw yourself up the top of this mountain and let's see. Because scripture does say that if you were to do this, that, you know, your heel won't be bruised and you'll be protected and a legion of angels will come. And he's like, yeah, it's actually also written not to test the Lord your God. I love that enemy will also use scripture to twist and twist you because he's actually clever. He's not stupid. He actually did reside in heaven one day. So he knows 
better than you, actually. And do you know what else he knows? He knows your authority that you don't even know you have. Because he's really ticked that you were made in the image of God and he wasn't. Ha! He knows your authority more than you do. Where does it say that? Where, where, that's my question. Right? So we're going right along. We're going great. And we keep talking about our authority as believers, the authority we have. Okay. So we have authority to do something that we haven't really named yet. And our authority over what? Okay, well, if we do have authority, and Satan is jealous of our authority, and the way to get us not to have authority is to take away that authority by making us sin or whatever, like, where is that in Scripture? Right, We're pointing to a lot of texts, but we've not once pointed to a text that indicates that we have some sort of authority through obedience. So if that text was there, like this is my thing. If we're sitting here and listen, and this isn't just Alex. I mean, come on, people preach sermons like this all the time. If we're sitting there and somebody's saying, hey, your obedience leads to authority, fine. My first question is, show me where that is in the scripture, right? The classic chapter verse, like that, just show me chapter verse where what you're saying is supposedly said. Then we can have a conversation. But if you can't show me that and you're just interjecting it into random things that you're reading, don't expect me to believe you. And that's why he tempts you to sin. Because if he can get you believing less than of yourself, then you don't have authority or power over him, which was what was God's design all along. Okay, where's that? Who has power and authority over, um, over in heaven and earth? Who has all authority over heaven and earth? Who has that? Oh, I thought we read that somewhere. Gosh, who has power of heaven over heaven and earth? Who has that all authority? Who has that? Who? Oh, yeah, Jesus has that. I don't need to have authority and power over Satan. I don't. Why? Because Christ does. I don't need to have authority over anything. Why? Because Jesus does. I'm not contending to be the person with all the authority or any authority for that matter. I just point to Jesus. He does. He that don't look at me. I don't. He does. Can I be fully obedient? Clearly not. He was. I don't I don't know what's difficult about this. Why do you need authority over everything when Jesus already has it? It's just really confusing. And so he says, excuse me, don't test the Lord your God. Let me just remind you. He's not saying it. This is Alex's version. I'm God. You're not. Shut up. So he comes again, third time. Oh, now I'll take you to everything. Look, look at all the kingdoms. I can give them to you. And he had every right to give them to him because you know what? Adam and Eve forfeited their authority and gave them straight to the enemy. And so he could have. He could have right then and then, and we, think, we look at that and we probably don't understand the full ramifications of that, but right there, what the enemy was saying, if you bow down and worship me, you can shortcut your going to the cross and you can actually get rid of sickness right now and you can get rid of abuse and you can get rid of calamity and you can get rid of every blind eye and every sick, like you can have all the things. You can have it all, you can have authority, but it will only be limited to here. And it will not be eternal. And so Jesus is like, you know what? That may all be good, but that's half obedience and that's half authority. I want full authority. But so many of us will. Okay, so 
I'm about to have an aneurysm in my brain. Do you, she's she's adding things to the text with no like if you could cross reference something here and show me where this is somewhere else in scripture fine do that but what we have here right is in verse 9 at the very top and he said to him all things i will give you if you fall down and worship me and then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. What we know, and the only thing we need to know, according to the Gospel of Matthew, is that Jesus was tempted. Satan came to him with Scripture and said, Hey, Scripture says this. And Jesus said, Actually, Scripture says this within, you know, in context. And he does this three times. Jesus resists the temptation every single time of what Satan is saying. Hey, if you do this, you get this. And Jesus goes, no. And Satan, and he tells Satan to leave. Now, I don't want to downplay the temptation because clearly afterwards, um, angels came and began to minister to him. So that there is this reality that there is uh, this sort of hardship that is occurring. And I don't want to downplay that. But we don't want to read into this a bunch of things that aren't also happening. Jesus goes on to, to heal blind eyes, to cure sickness. He could have done that with everybody. He chooses not to because he, this is not the point of his, his, his coming. Um, and so it's not a matter of bow down, like him bowing down to Satan, him being able to be free to heal everyone. He could have done that anyway. Not the point of his mission. Um, so this whole reading, it's just we're reading so much into this. We're, we're, we're saying scripture and then adding a whole bunch of extra commentary, but it's not based on anything. We'll stop just short of our breakthrough to gain full authority because that immediate gratification looks so good when we're so weak and God's like, uh, no, this ain't going to happen. And so he turns to him and he says, listen, I'm going to tell you it again. It is written that I will not worship anybody other than my father. And now go. And Satan had to flee. And it says that when Jesus left the wilderness, that he was full of the power of the Spirit. Full. He was at a hundred. He was full of authority, full of power because he overcame. He proved the enemy that he was God's son and he wasn't going to disobey for anything. And he knew that the other side of his obedience was going to be your salvation. And so he says, no, 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 no. I will not do what suits me right now for the sake of my own benefit, but I'm doing this for you. And so if you don't understand how much Jesus loves you in this place, please understand that he loves you more than anything that he was willing to go to death so that he could finish the work, so that you could have full authority. And he did this. It was new and it was amazing. And he did it in a full obedience. And in Philippians chapter 2 verse 6, it says he existed in the form of God. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Guys, do we understand? I learned this scripture when I was 21 years of age and it has just never left me. 
It's the humility of the living. This is why I, I have to constantly bow to this. Because we are nothing without Jesus. And if he's everything, the creator of the universe, he created you, he made you, yet he chooses to come and be just as menial as humanity. He says, I consider it not to be equality with God. A thing to be grasped, but I'm actually going to humble myself in the appearance of a man. Isaiah says that he wasn't even attractive, that people would pass him by because they couldn't even look at him. The way the Western world paints Jesus, he was not attractive. Because you know why? He wanted to see, are people going to see me for me or for what the outside says? He was willing to be disregarded, overlooked. And he made himself nothing. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, guys, for this reason, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed him on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, on earth, under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Are you listening? That means all authority is his. Yes. So this right here, I totally agree with. All authority is his. Why? Because he humbled himself. Um, verse 8 of Philippians. Here, let's go over here real quick. Verse 8 right here, Philippians chapter 2. And being found in human form, the, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and on earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has authority. All of it. Nothing is above him. Nothing, no sickness, no title, no queen, no throne, no king, no empire. Nothing is above him because of his full obedience that he chose to go to the cross for you and I. And so now he has full authority. And then in Matthew, he says, now all authority has been given to me and now I give it to you. <laughs> okay, this is why I wanted you to remember what we read in Matthew 28. She just said that Jesus said, I have all authority and now I give it to you. Is that what he said? Let's go look. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. I don't see a single part where he says, now I'm giving you the authority. Doesn't say that. He doesn't. Jesus hands his authority to nobody. He has all authority. And so... We can, as believers, in verse 19, go therefore. Why? How are we going? Because Jesus has all authority. Do I need permission from anybody? 
Huh? To go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No. Why? Because Jesus has all authority, and he has commanded us to do it. I just, I, I deflect to his authority. I don't, I don't need to have my own authority. He, he's the one that's commanded it. He's the one that said to do it. Why do I obey him? He has all authority over heaven and earth. I don't need authority. He's been the fully obedient one. I follow Christ the King. He's the one that commands it. How can he command it? Because he has all authority. And I do it because he has all authority and he said, go do it. He's not handing over authority to you and I. He doesn't need to. Does a king hand over authority to people? No. He says, go. Go do it. Now, you can go do it. And when people ask you, why are you doing this thing? You can say, the king told me to under his authority that I do it. So it's under his authority that I do anything. I don't need my own authority. My authority means jack. I don't need, it doesn't mean anything. It's his authority. Do you understand the authority that you have? But most of us are still stuck in, does Jesus love me? Am I worthy enough? Am I good enough? Am I called? What's my purpose? Your purpose is to do the will of the Father. Your purpose is to see souls saved. The greatest purpose in life, see, America and most of the Western world loves to fulfill dreams. And we've really, we've really romanticized that God's here to fulfill our dreams. But the greatest dream is to know him and be known by him. Greatest dream is to live a life devoted. See, I don't disagree with any of this. This is good. This is great. My problem is, is when we add to scripture, that's an issue I have. Jacob, if you could come. The greatest dream is that you would be loved and seen by God. Mm, see, she had it right the first time. Had it right the first time. Because you know that scripture that says, not all that call me Lord, Lord will come in. Oh, but I did this in your name and I prophesied in your name and I raised the dead in your name and I saw that demonic spirit delivered in your name. Well, of course, because it wasn't you that did it, it was Jesus who did it. We can do a lot of things in the name of Jesus, but he'll say, hey, depart from me because I never knew you. I know this is not part of the sermon, though she did call the man J named Jacob up to play the piano. But could we make it a thing where we stop playing like uh, random piano chords um, during the end of sermons, please? I'm not saying it's deliberately emotionally manipulative. I'm just saying it comes off as emotionally manipulative. See, I want to be known by Jesus. I, I want him to know that we're friends. That I'm a woman after his heart because I'm willing to obey him. You see, Saul was a great king, but he was rejected as king because he was disobedient. And, and Samuel says, hey, you've disobeyed God. He just asked you to do one simple assignment, but you had to do it your way. So here, here's something very interesting. I think as at the end here, well, not even really the end. We have quite a bit more. But um, 
there's kind of a convolution of what she's saying here. So there is a truth that we as believers should be obedient to God because he's God. So when he says do ABC, we do ABC. Why? Because again, he has all authority and we, we want to obey him. Um, it's a different thing, I think, to, to say what she was saying before, which is obey and then through obedience, you have authority. Like there's parts of this sermon that are, that aren't, aren't bad, right? Um, like the whole idea of, of, of knowing God and making God known, like that's a good part of the sermon. As believers, we should do that. Um, understanding that like obedience is a part of the believer's life. Like you can't just not obey God and say you're a believer, but making the connection that obedience leads to authority over Satan in your life. Um, like it, it just seems like things aren't, aren't super clear here. So let, let me say this. If she's saying that obeying God through, through obeying God, one becomes more sanctified and more like Jesus through obedience and through obedience, the spirit transforms our hearts and our minds to be more like Christ. And then therefore there is um, victory over um, sins in our life. A hundred percent. I would say I would agree with her if that's what she's saying, though I, she's, if that's what she's saying, she's not being clear about it at all. If she's saying that by obedience, we then some have some sort of spiritual authority over uh, Satan and his works. And we can do all of these, you know, casting out demons, raising the dead and stuff. Um, I, I'm going to say that I don't, I don't see that being something in scripture that obedience leads to that kind of authority. Because again, she's already said it like, he's going to say, I didn't know you. We did these things. And he says, I don't know you. So just because you're doing those things doesn't give you some sort of uh, authority in Jesus' name. So like it, at, at worst, we're equating works-based works to authority slash salvation. At best, we're being very unclear about what we're about sanctification, maybe. Um, it's, it's not, it's just not super clear. And you even acted spiritual about it and you, you sacrificed the animals that he told you to kill. And because of your disobedience, you're no longer king. But I've chosen a man, a young man, a man after my own heart. And the reason why he's a man after my own heart, it says it in Acts that God testified of David because he was a man after my own heart because he will do what I ask him to do. And David wasn't perfect, but David knew his place that he is God and he is not. And he knew how to repent and he knew that relationship with God was more important than victories won and kingdoms subdued. He said, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't cast me from your presence. But grant me a willing spirit that will sustain me. A willing spirit that will be surrendered and devoted to be obedient to you. Could you imagine if we were just obedient? When the whispers, how many times a week do you get the whispers to go pray for that person and you don't because you're afraid? 
ordinary unschooled men that had been with Jesus did extraordinary things because they were just obedient. Jesus did extraordinary things because when God said move here and go to that and go across over here and go to the other side and go heal the sick there and, and, and go to Samaria today. Samaria, why are we going to Samaria? We're going to Samaria. That's odd. We're not supposed to mix with the Samaria. Uh, we're going to Samaria because there's some work for me to do there. You see, how many of us won't go to places when you've been prompted and you've seen and you're always going to rationalize, well, I can't go there because that doesn't feel safe and that doesn't do that. And we forfeit the glory of God being revealed because of our disobedience and we wonder why we have no authority. God's not looking for popular and influential. I really wish she would define authority here. I, I may have missed it, um, perhaps through this. I don't think she's defined what authority we're missing, right? I mean, the closest we've got is some sort of authority over Satan because um, she's made a big deal about that. You have authority over Satan, and if Satan can convince you that you don't have authority over him, he wins. So he tempts you to make you sin, and if he does that and wins, then you'll have authority over him. So the closest we've gotten to authority is authority over Satan. Um, and that authority comes through obedience. But we haven't connected that to any verses at all. I mean, we've, the best we've gotten is an example of Jesus in, in the wilderness, which um, the reason he was able to do so and be obedient is because uh, he was uh, fully God and fully man. So, again, going back to that, um, he has all authority because he can be fully obedient. And as we've seen in the Old Testament, um, even the, the covenant that God makes with Abram, um, Abram doesn't actually even get to participate in that because God goes like, the reason I'm doing this is because I'm the one that's going to be able to uphold this covenant. You're not going to be able to do it. So I'm going to uphold it all for you because God's the only one that's able to be fully obedient. And that doesn't give an, an as humanity excuse not to be obedient. It just real it helps us realize that we rely fully on Christ. Like he is the better everything, as Hebrews talks about. He is the better priest. He is the one that was able to fulfill all things. And therefore, we rely on him. He's really sick of it. He's sick of influences. <laughs> There's tons of them. Influencing this and influencing that. It's not influence that we need. It's authority. It's power. It's dominion. It's the power that moves through us. There's a dying world out there that needs the power of God in us. But could you imagine if you were just obedient? I finished with this little story. And again, the 9 a.m. got a very different message. You know, when I got saved, I love that Paul talked about that first love. And to go back to do what you did at first. Because when I got saved, I was only 11 years of age. I will never forget it. I'll never forget the day that I got saved and I walked down a really big middle aisle of a church of about 4,000 people in Adelaide, South Australia. 
Pastor Andrew was speaking a message, just pure gospel. I'd never heard... That's something else that she really hasn't mentioned. Um, when we're talking about the gospel, she hasn't mentioned what, what is the gospel then. Um, so she's talking about the world needs the gospel. She's talking about how she heard the pure gospel, but she hasn't talked about um, the gospel. She has mentioned Jesus's death, I think once in this sermon, um, but we haven't talked about the gospel being Jesus's death and resurrection. Um, we haven't talked about that. Or, well, we haven't talked about the reconciliation that is possible between man and, and God either the gospel before i'd been in church since i was a baby but this was the first week that i'd been invited to this church that would later be my home until we moved but it was that morning and that night actually it was 5 p.m service i got saved and when i came to the front i felt the love of god like i've never felt before in my life and i was only 11 and you couldn't wipe the smile from my face. I had a radical encounter with Jesus. And a week later, I went back to the little Italian church that my parents were part of. And the pastor didn't know what to do with me because I ran right up the front at the end. And I said, I want the Holy Spirit. And he wasn't preaching on the Holy Spirit. I don't even know what he was preaching on because it was fully in Italian. And I would have checked out as an 11-year-old kid. But I was hungry for the power of the Holy Spirit. And... The Holy Spirit came on me. No one prayed for me. I just was hungry and I began to speak in my heavenly language. So really quick, this, this helps us, right? I'm not going to get into a um, huge long thing about speaking in tongues, um, but she seems to equate receiving the Spirit as speaking in tongues. Um, I don't know if she goes as far as to say that you're not, you haven't received the Spirit unless you spoke in tongues, but she kind of seems to indicate that's your belief guys I was set on fire I would go to school and I would witness to the teachers to the priests to the nuns I went to a Catholic private school I had no fear I wasn't in arguments I wasn't in debates I was just telling them the goodness of God I remember laying, I had my cousin over once and she wasn't a believer and she was riddled with night terrors and I would begin to speak over, over her, her, her spirit and it would calm her. And I began to see the gifts of the spirit at work. I would be on my school bus and the Lord would say, there, that girl needs a word of encouragement. And I'd be like, oh, I don't know what that means. And he said, go tell her this and go ask her that. And I, I didn't even know I was moving in the gifts of the spirit as a young age. I was so in love with Jesus that all I did was wanted to tell people about Jesus. And because of that, every single time, I just became obedient, obedient, obedient. I'm still like that to this day, guys. If I'm on an airplane and somebody is sitting next to me, God will tell me something and I will obey. And there are days where I haven't been obedient and then something happens and I'm going, you know what? The Lord actually told me to do that and I didn't do it. And some things could have changed if I'd just been obedient. But I was so caught up in my own busyness and in my own junk that I didn't obey because I rationalized it out. But I'm telling you guys that when you get a hold of the love of God as your Father and that His assignments for you are not only for you, but they're also for the salvation of people, the trajectory of your Christian life will change. Teenagers, Christianity will not be boring. You so one thing, she's about to get into like this thing. or <laughs> She's about to rant at her, uh, her son and her son's friends. 
basically. Um, so I think it's important to note here. Like there is a, and I know there's going to be some people that watch this video that's going to disagree with me, but there, there is a reality of minding the spirit in regards to um, some of the things she said. I mean, promptings to pray from people, um, the, this, this real sense of like, you need to speak with them. Um, you need to pray for them like that. I'm not, I'm not denying those things. Like you may not, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, a, I, I've, those things have happened. I don't know what to tell you. Um, and being obedient in those situations is important, right? So I, I'm trying to parse out here that there's things that she said in this sermon that are problematic. Um, there's things that don't make any sense or connection to the verses she's used. Um, there's times where she's added to the scriptures, which is ridiculous. Uh, there's some things here, though, that are that are not bad, though, right? Now, I'm not saying the not bad things outweigh the terrible things. I don't think she should be preaching, to be quite frank with you. Um, but not just Alex. I mean, anybody that uses the scripture this way shouldn't be teaching at all. Um, so, like, don't at me on that. Um, it's this it's an improper way to use the scriptures, for sure. Should not be on stage, should not be preaching, should not have the position of elder. I'm just... Let me put that out there. Um, but some of the stuff she's saying is legit. And I think that's why sometimes um, when people teach in this way, there are people that are really intrigued and encouraged and um, feel uplifted because there's certain aspects of this that are good um, and that are helpful. But those... Um, and for some some people, they let those outweigh the bad things. They're like, yeah, that was bad, but maybe they just misspoke. I don't think you misspeak adding to scripture. I think you're just blatantly doing that. And so the good shouldn't outweigh the bad here is what I'm saying. I'm saying that what she's saying here I think is good. There are Christians that are not obedient to the promptings of the Spirit. Uh, I'm not saying there's some audible thing that happens to believers, but there's promptings. Um, and we should be, we should be obedient to that. Um, but her saying some good things here don't outweigh the travesties that have come before it. You will not be wanting to get uh, drunk on alcohol. You won't be wanting to take drugs. You won't want sex. Sex is secondary to an encounter with God. You all think that this promiscuous lifestyle is so cool, wonderful. It robs you of your authority because you actually haven't tasted of what God has for you and what He's got for you is better than any drug, it's better than any orgasm that you will ever have. And I wanna talk real today because we go for the junk when God wants to give us the best. We go for what we think is good and God's going, if you would just be obedient. I stayed pure till I got married and I was the weird girl. Everyone made fun of me because I was still pure when I got married. Oh, but I'm telling you, 25 years into my marriage, it's awesome. Because I don't have the baggage. I don't have the memories. I don't have the, the issues that other people have. And we think that because we're gonna follow the world that we do it this way, we're not cool, we're not that. I'm telling you, it gains an authority so that when I get to speak into relationships and marriages, there's an authority. You see, God's saying, I don't want to remove things from... So here's the thing. Knowing the statistics, that would have been a really good time to interject. Like, great for her. 
right? I mean, that's amazing. Statistically, that's not a common practice that she's talking about being a virgin when you get married. That's just not a common practice. Um, so that would have been a really good way to interject. Like this is a grace of God in my life. Um, but if that isn't you, right, if you're part of the large statistics of people that haven't waited, there's grace in Jesus Christ, there's forgiveness in him, there is salvation to be found, there's reconciliation to be had in Jesus Christ. Uh, that would have been a good place to interject the gospel. Um, other than saying, because I haven't done this thing, I now have authority when I speak to people about this thing. Um, which comes off in a totally different way, to be honest with you. Um, there's a way to say, I, God has been incredibly gracious to me. Um, and then offering the message of, of, of the gospel to those that maybe haven't uh, waited. Anyway. From you so that you don't live a blessed life. I'm actually protecting you. There's some of you that you're settling for spouses that don't follow Jesus because you think God can't provide the right one for you. And you're being disobedient by swiping those swipes. Now, I don't think, I think this is an ablib, but I do want to point it out. Like, I think, I don't think she's, she's thinking this through all the way. I think her words are sort of kind of being jarbled because what she just said is that you settled for a spouse that God doesn't want for you and you shouldn't settle for that spouse, which indicates that if you have a spouse that you have settled for, you shouldn't have that spouse anymore and you should go for the one God has for you, which is saying that you should divorce them, which would be a very odd thing for a pastor to say um, in, in ever. And so I don't think that's what she's saying. I think she's trying to ad lib at the end, like have this powerful ending with this piano in the background and being like, don't settle, don't swipe. Um, I think she's just not thinking about what she's saying. And finding some guy who will take you out on a date, but make no mistake, you can't build a life on somebody who doesn't love Jesus. Yeah. That's a word for somebody today. Again, that goes back to the Peter passage that we talked about. I think it was first Peter three. She says, you can't build a life on somebody that doesn't love Jesus. I would say this, if you're a Christian, don't marry a non-believer a hundred percent. However, if you're already married and you become a Christian to a non-believer, I think again, what we see in what we read in Peter is one of those things where being submissive, if you're, if you're a wife being submissive actually uh, can be the seed that God uses to bring an unbelieving husband um, to, uh, to, to the, to, to Jesus. Uh, and then likewise, uh, uh, an unbelieving wife can be led to the Lord through the good leading of her believing husband. Like there's, there are things that, um, like, I just feel like we're not, like, we have an opportunity here to say, like, this is the ideal, but if you have, if you, if you've missed the ideal of what scripture has for you, there's still grace and mercy to be found in Jesus to then pursue that, uh, in him. But we're just kind of missing, we're, we're pointing out all these things, and then we're just sort of missing the opportunity to present the gospel to people. God's saying... I've given you all authority. Now go and make disciples. See, that's not... Sometimes I think we think that's... He did, not, thing. he did not say, I have given you all authority. Now go and make disciples. He says, I have all authority. Therefore, go. That's a huge difference. See what I mean? Like for all the good, for all of the, the, the interesting good things that are sort of 
sprinkled through this. That nonsense right there is just every time runs it for me. You can't you can't change what the scriptures say, lady. Let's keep going. We're almost done. I must make disciples. No, show them how to live a life set apart. Just live your life full of the glory of God. And I'm telling you, people will be lining up asking, where did you get that joy from? Where did you get that power from? Where did you get that discipline from? Where did you get a marriage like that? Like that girl, my esthetician, she was like, where did you find him? I said, in church, I said, there are still some good men out there. Don't settle. Don't settle for the jerks who just want everything. If he can't wait for you, he's not worth you. If he can't wait for you, if he can't honour your mother and your father, he's not worth it. He can't. Henry was willing. Even when my mum hated him, he waited. You see, obedience brings blessing. I want a church that at that first time obedience, we hear His voice, we obey. We hear His voice, we obey. We don't second guess. I, you know, I just love that Jesus, literally, he just, he just did what the Father asked Him to do. And then look at the results. Don't be afraid. Do it scared. I do it scared all the time. I do it scared all the time. When God says, hey, do this or give this or say that or pray for that, I love watching that. And then you go away elated on cloud nine because you're like, God did something. And you're like, why aren't I obedient more often? And you know, sometimes nothing has happened. But that's a seed zone because you're not always meant to be the closer. Sometimes you're the one that sows the seed. Sometimes you're the one that waters it. Sometimes you're the one that, you know, pulls the weed out. God's the one who produces the fruit. He's the one that grows that thing. But I'm telling you, if you could be a chink in the chain that keeps that person moving towards Jesus, I'm telling you, we're going to get to heaven and we're going to see an array of faces saying, thank you for your obedience. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you. You know, this church is an act of obedience. God said, do it. I said, no. This is ironic because just a while ago she said that uh, Joyce Myers, the great theologian, that's sarcastic, by the way, um, the great theologian Joyce Myers said that you can't say no Jesus in the same sentence and be obedient. And she just said when Jesus originally told her to plant the church, she said, no, Jesus. He said, what, did, what am I your Lord? I don't want to run a church. Henry didn't want to run a church. We didn't know what the first thing to do running a church. People don't believe that, but honestly, you're going to know me, you'll know. This was not my jam. But you see, when I've been surrendered to the Lord, He says, listen and obey. Listen and obey. And could you imagine if I had rationalized and said all the reasons why we can't have people in our basement? And trust me, there were some weird people that came to my basement. Lives have been changed. Presence of God has been unlocked. People have been delivered, set free. Obedience increases your authority. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
I know the Spirit of God is in this place. I know that He's been speaking to you. I know that He's been moving on your heart. This is not a word to condemn or make you feel less than. This is actually an, an equipping. It's a, it's a word to inspire and encourage to see that there's more in you. That the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. That you've been made a new creation, that you are seated in heavenly places, that the Father has given you access to the healing signs, wonders, miracles, to deliverance. It always amazes me that he just sent 72 disciples out and he said, hey, go heal the sick. So really quick, like I know we're ending here, but this is a really good example of sort of um, her theology in regards to she's referring. I mean, it's basically... Um, uh, a charismatic Pentecostal theology. So do with that what you will. Basically, like we talked about it a couple weeks ago. We did an Oral Robert, Roberts um, sermon review. And it's basically in that same stream of thought. This idea that because Jesus sent the 70 out and gave and then the 12 and gave them authority to do that, um, then you then have the authority to do that too. Um, even though that's... I would contend a terrible reading of the scripture in regards to application, but whatever. Um, but that does give us a really good idea of where she's at theologically. Pray for the, those that are demonized. Go do it. They didn't need to do a six-week course. They didn't need to go to Bible college. Ordinary unschooled men by the commissioning and the delegated authority of Jesus Christ. And he says, now go, go and do this. And I'm leaving you with the glory and I'm leaving you with the charge to make disciples and baptize nations. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them, show them, lead them like I've led you. And I'll be with you. I'll be with you forever. And all I ask for you to do is be obedient. And I want to ask you, church, I want to ask you watching online, I want to ask you today, I want, I want you to get right in your heart and say, God, I'm sorry for the times that I've been disobedient because I... And see, I just want to point out, here's another point in which this isn't bad. There is a reality that believers are not always fully obedient to, um, to what we should be doing, right? And this is where... I think continual, re continual repentance comes up through sanctification, that there's this reality that as we read the scriptures, as we're being discipled, um, as we're growing, uh, just as believers, there are times that we come to an understanding and realization that, wow, okay, I'm not, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And um, there's a repentance there, and there's a correction there, and then there's a living in the right direction that comes from that. Um, so what she's saying here, I, I, at the end here, I think is good um, in regards to there is an understanding and a recognition that sometimes as believers, we're not doing what we should do. And so this part is good. See, I, I, I want to make sure it's not a, a, just a, a, a dumping bash session on Alex here. I, I want to show that there are some things here that are good that she's saying, but there's also some like really bad things that she's saying and that she's equating to scripture that's not in there um, and not connected to that. And we need to be able to discern the difference there. So I think, I think we're about done. And then we'll, we'll kind of sum this up. 
because I've literally just cared too much about what somebody thinks or I've been too fearful to step out or I'm looking at my own strength and not yours and I'm looking at my own flesh instead of your spirit. God, whatever the, uh, the, the questions are, some of us, it's just fear. But I'm saying do it scared because <laughs> it's not about fear. Fear just paralyzes, but doing it scared, even Joshua did it scared. Be strong and courageous. Every time an angel appeared to people, he said, fear not. It's, you know, it's there. It's real. But he says, you know, in me, you can do all things. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Just step out. And I want you to stand to your feet when you are ready to just go, Jesus, I'm choosing to be obedient. I'm choosing to trust that you're my good father. I'm choosing that no longer am I going to do it my way, but I'm going to yield my will to your will. I'm going to do what Hope said at the beginning where, Jesus, you've been my saviour for a a long time, but you've actually not been my Lord because I still choose what I pick up and what I don't pick up because I'm still doing life my way if I have to be really honest. And guys, I'm standing up already. Because as a leader of this church, I know that there are areas of disobedience in my own life where God's asked me to step out and do some ridiculous, crazy things, but there's still a little bit of fear. And so I'm not preaching this at you, I'm preaching with you. And I'm saying, God, it's time. It's time to be like Jesus. If Jesus showed that he could do it, I can do it. And I want you to... Oh, see, and there's this just careful wording of things. If Jesus showed that he could do it, that means I can do it. Now, in some cases, right, what we have in the early church is, uh, and even now, is, right, this Jesus as our example. So as Jesus suffered, we should suffer. As Jesus um, uh, went forth, we should go forth, right? So there's this, there's, Jesus is our example on how we should live life. Um, And so to that end, yes, like he... He is our example on how to do how to do life well. Um, now, this whole sermon again is obedience produces authority. So if it's Jesus was obedient, therefore I can be fully obedient, or Jesus was fully obedient, therefore I can be fully obedient. Um, we really need to parse that out and and really talk about that in regards to Scripture, because what we see in Scripture is that uh, we couldn't be fully obedient. Jesus comes to be the fully obedient one because no one could be fully obedient as was needed. And so Jesus comes and does that. Um, we have, I mean, I think she actually referenced it in Romans where it's the one, through one man, Adam, everyone fell and through one man, Christ. Um, and so one of the things that we see is that it's Jesus's obedience is a, a purposeful, special obedience. Uh, he's the only one that could do it. And that's why he has been given the name above all names. This is, um, he's obedient all the way to death, and um, we can't be. Now, that doesn't mean we give up. Again, I think there's again there's this tension that needs to be worked out here is that we've totally missed in the sermon that um, you're going to fall, you're going to fail, and that doesn't mean it's okay, but you recognize that, point to Jesus, rely on him, pursue him. He's the one that can be fully obedient. He's the one that has all authority. Um, the sermon's very much about... Uh, it's very heavy on us. Like she's definitely mentioned Jesus as our example a ton, but it really is us being like Jesus, not us relying on Jesus. I think that seems to be the big, uh, the big difference and difference factor. You need to stand to your feet.
by saying, Jesus, I choose obedience. I choose first time obedience. Oh, I may stumble and fall along the way, but my heart posture is first time obedience. Oh, let us begin to cry out. Maybe some of us need to repent before Jesus and just say, God, I'm just so sorry. I've been sorry about the fear. I'm sorry about the just the, the, what would what would people think? What are people going to say? I'm sorry that I didn't even have enough faith to maybe think if something isn't going to change on the other side of my obedience. But that's not what you're after. You're just after obedience. Because obedience is so much better than sacrifice. Obedience, whether something changes or not, is so much better than having to go over and over and over and above to prove to God that you love Him. He knows you love Him. But all that we would do the things that we did at first because of our first love. That we would go back to that moment when Jesus wrecked our lives and we couldn't help but tell people about Jesus. We couldn't help but lead others to church. We couldn't help but bring everybody we knew. We couldn't help but pray for somebody at the airport or in the public's queue. We, 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 we wanted to pay for people. And we didn't second guess, we just chose to do it because we knew you were asking us to do it. And God, I pray right now that you would just give courage and boldness by your Holy Spirit. In fact, raise your hands right now because it's the courage and boldness that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit, that dunamis power. It's why Jesus said to his disciples, don't you dare go anywhere and leave Jerusalem until the power of, uh, of the Spirit is clothing you from on high. He knew they couldn't do this in their flesh. And I think so many of us are trying to do the walk of faith in our own flesh. And he says, no, let the power of the Holy Spirit baptize you. In fact, let it baptize you right now. Ask him, say, would you just pour out your spirit so that I would be bold as a lion, that I would be courageous, that there would be a power that flows out of me, that I would be flammable rather than fireproof. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come down now? Would you come? Would you come? Would you come in waves? Would you come as we have repented and we have yielded to your Lordship and said, God, let your will be done, not mine. God, I pray that what will come of this week and the weeks to come will be such beautiful fruit. God, I pray that the church would come alive. The church would realise their position. The church would realise that it's not about the two hours on Sunday, but it's all about every single day, Monday, you know, she's saying this, like, here's the thing. Like, I get what she's saying. Like, it's not about the service. But yet she's creating this environment that makes it almost unproducible other places. Right? I mean, so what I mean by that is she's got the band up there. She's had this piano in the background for, like, stinking feels like forever, doing this these keys forever, like, setting the tone and the mood She's asking you to stand up. She's asking you to put your hands up. She's asking like all of this stuff and um, which, are, which are all things that she's uh, sort of producing in the moment, but yet at the same time berating you about only doing this moment here. I mean, unless you carry a keyboard around with you all the time, you're not going to walk around with the piano playing in the background, setting the mood the whole time, right? I mean, there there's one thing to say, Hey, this isn't like you should be out and doing things and praying for people. 
and making it the norm without setting an environment and tone only when you're in service. I don't know if that makes sense. It's just, it, and again, this is not a well thought out point on my part, so I might be wrong here, but it just seems like she's berating them for saying, oh, this two hour service is the only time you experience God, but yet setting, uh, uh, having the music playing and having her screaming at you forever. And that being like the really, the time you experience God and then telling you, you should be experiencing God out here doing these other things instead of it just being this life thing seems a little oxymoronic. Saturday about being the church and being on mission and being on assignment and listening and obeying and seeing lives change but our faith grows in the meantime and God I pray that you would ignite a fire in your people come on if you've got your spirit language begin to pray in the spirit okay and then it ends and she goes if you have a spirit language begin to pray in the spirit <sighs> okay so we're nearly two hours in. Let's end this thing. Um, let's go over the three things that we talk about during every single sermon review. I know that's long, guys. Like if you're new here and you're like, this is nearly two hours long. You do this every week. Yes, because I don't want to take these people out of context. If we're looking at sermons, I want to work all the way through it and see everything they say. So I'm not taking clips. This is the whole reason we do fully unedited sermon reviews. So if you're, if you liked it, this is what we do every week. So the first thing, did she read the text? Um, she, the fullest text she read was Matthew 28 at the Great Commission. That's the, the text that she actually read like all of. Um, the rest of the text, it was a verse here and there. With, and then that goes into the next point. Did she exegete the text using context and culture to bring out application? Um, no, not at all. She did not. Even in the text of the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, she adds things to it that aren't there. So not only does she not exegete the text, she completely ignores what the text actually says and added words to it in order to make her point of the sermon, even though that wording isn't there. So that was terrible. Um, and then the gospel. Did she mention the gospel of Jesus Christ? She mentioned the gospel a few times, but never unpacked it. And in places that she could have interjected, in places that she could have interjected the gospel, especially near the end there, uh, about, you know, I never did this and I never did that. And now I have authority because of obedience. She could have interjected the gospel that, hey, I never, I, I've already mentioned this, but I, you know, was, I, I, by God's grace, didn't do these things. And if you have, there is forgiveness to be found. There's even forgiveness for me because my, 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 my righteousness isn't found in me not doing these things. My righteousness isn't found in my obedience. My, righteous, my righteousness is found in Jesus Christ and his life, death, and burial resurrection. My righteousness is found in him. Why? Because he has all authority. See, I mean, this is the, just the, I don't even know the word of, of how this sermon was presented it doesn't mention the gospel of Christ. It makes your obedience, your righteousness, essentially. It puts all of that on you. It's just dumb. It's just dumb. Anyway, there's that. So no, none of those, none of those things were marked. And again, I didn't mention this at the beginning. I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but I'll mention it now. And I try to mention this in every sermon review, but this isn't about who's the best or the worst pastor. This is about using Alex as an example 
to go through the sermon and say what was the good and the bad and the ugly of this. And though there were good parts, um, they do not outweigh the bad. And hopefully this was helpful in kind of breaking that down and seeing that. Once again, you can support us with the links in the below. You can find the free sermon review guide, sermon review guide below as well. And if you think I talked too much and took her out of context, you can watch the full sermon below as well uh, provided in the description. I'll talk to you next week. I'll see you later.